0: This is the Collecting Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Purse, here with your co-host, Bill Hamill. I'm so much more comfortable collecting real estate than I am collecting other stuff. Thanks for everybody listening to the Collecting Real Estate Podcast. We have a local guest, great friend of ours today, We have Jeremy Sagai from Schenectady, New York. He's been investing in real estate for just over five years. I'm going to hand this off to you, Jeremy. Tell us about your real estate background.
1: Yeah, man. Thank you, Bill, for having me. I appreciate it. Always uh, exciting to talk with you guys. Um, So, yeah, I I, I live here in Schenectady, been here uh, basically since 2004. I was born in Florida, but moved up here, and... uh, I guess, yeah, a little real estate background, I think, I guess to go all the way back to the beginnings, my parents invested in real estate a little bit um, growing up and they were very much uh, Dave Ramsey people. And that'll come up I'm sure later in this this talk, but they're very much no debt, all cash, everything. um, Do everything yourself. And so uh, I learned a lot. You know, growing up, I got to see a little bit. You now, they, they were very much small scale. I think we had, they had one or two duplexes uh, growing up. And, uh, you know, it was a great, you know, additional income for them, I think. And, um, but yeah, so, so basically for myself, I went to Union College here locally. And then uh, after college, I got a job um, at a software company. And uh, I guess the story I like to tell is uh, there was a gentleman that was a good friend of mine uh, that was on my my team um, at the software company. And I don't know how much he was making, but most software engineers are doing pretty well. So, uh, he was talking to us at lunch one day about how he wasn't sure how he was going to put his daughter through college. And I was like, how this does not compute. Like you've been a software engineer for probably 20 years. Like, how are you broke? Like this doesn't make any sense. So that was kind of the, uh, beginning of my real estate journey. I like went and read a ton of bu- books on real estate and finance and all things investing. And basically after about a year or so, um, decided that real estate was going to be the direction I wanted to go into. And for a lot of reasons, but I think the tax implications and, and just having um, more control over the whole process and and obviously the, the returns um, as well. So yeah, I got started with my first couple purchases back in 2017. I bought Two triplexes uh, to begin with. Um, Basically, I uh, saved—you know—right out of school. I lived at home with my mom, uh, saved as much money as I could, and uh, basically, you know, purchased those first two. Uh, I did 20 and 25 percent down, respectively. Um, That's like a whole long story uh, about that. But um, so that was six units to start, and then basically over the course of about four years, renovated all of those. you know, we had a lot of appreciation in the market. You know, COVID happened and all this crazy stuff, and so in twenty twenty one we were able to do a cash out refinance um, uh, of one hundred seventy five thousand dollars, so that they almost doubled in value. And then we just bought a nine unit property last year in June, um, and right now we're in the middle of a very extensive renovation on that. So that's a pretty quick synopsis of my real estate journey so far. So happy to you know dive in deeper wherever you want to start. Yeah.
0: And we've talked so much about all of that. We've known each other probably for close to two years now. And um, we've dove into many of these things. And I I really want to focus in on this nine unit. But, uh, you know, circling back to to what you said in in the bio, I don't think we've ever talked about uh, your... Your experience hearing about Dave Ramsey, so that that caught my ear because that was somebody that I was introduced to in the radio um, about, you know, right around that last recession, 2008, 2009, when that recession came about, it it seemed like it happened overnight. And I was left in a position where in Albany, New York, I I didn't know know what was going to happen. And I was, I need to protect this real estate portfolio that we have built, and I was, and that and that was based on fear. Unfortunately, whenever you base anything on fear, nothing good happens. And Dave Ramsey had a lot of good things to say, I, I, and and he does. He's very, very, very valuable, depending on where you are in your journey. But for me, all I wanted to do at that point. Was to pay down the principal of all of our commercial real estate financing and build that equity that way because of the uncertainty. And I continued to listen to Dave, and that went on three, four, five years. What happened to me was I'm paying down principal, creating more and more equity, but not taking advantage of all that equity to grow my business because what's Dave Ramsey saying? Buy cash, don't use financing and all of that. So it took me up until about 2014, 2015 and I'm then saying to myself, what am I doing here? I have all of this equity on a financial statement, but what is it doing? At that point, I was able to parse that line of, Dave Ramsey's great for people who are in massive debt, who really need to dig out of, of the mess that they've made. But as a business person, I was never a victim of debt taking advantage of me. I always took advantage of debt. And I and I had to get back into that. What what was your what, what's your insight when you were first introduced to Dave Ramsey? And where you are now, based on being a real estate investor?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, I think as a young person, especially, I think so. You know, in the beginning of my journey, before I started, like I bought those two triplexes at 25, and at you know at that point in my life, basically, my only financial teachers were like my parents and maybe my grandparents, and I think I was very blessed and lucky that they were both relatively uh, financially sound, um, you know, not a lot of debt, like, you know, being smart about how they're spending, trying to live below their means. So, so, so solid foundation from that perspective. And so I think they instilled that into me. So like one of the thing that things that Dave Ramsey espouses is like, yeah, no debt, uh, don't use credit cards, stuff like that. And so I think that, again, it's all good advice. Um, he doesn't really believe in good debt versus bad debt, but I, I really believe in that at, at this point, basically. Like, if you're responsible and you're not, you know, I don't know, like, if you, you're you not going out and buying a car on your credit card or something like that or, or a new TV on your credit card, like, for this nine unit, we're going to spend probably three hundred to $400,000 and probably almost half of that I can spend on a credit card, which is very smart, in my opinion, because guess what? Over the $400,000, $200,000 is 200,000 points. Now I've got, I don't know, free travel for the next year, at least. (laughs) I know we don't fly a lot. My my family and I don't fly a lot, but, um, so I don't know. There's, there's definitely ways to use that. And there's a lot of ways where you can use credit to protect yourself as well. So, um, I think just going back to the original question, I think, um, eventually I basically decided that, you know, again, it's good advice but I'm being responsible and I'm not, you know, over you know, you want to be careful. You just don't want to over leverage yourself. So, um, making sure that I'm not over leveraging myself, trying to maintain at least 20, 25% down, uh, as far as equity, um, making sure my cash, my properties are cash flowing really well. And that anytime I am using temporary debt, like a credit card, I'm using it for, um, you know, just general, uh, purposes. You know, it's like I have the cash to pay for things, but I'm just using the credit card as a vehicle. I'm, I'm the one who's, uh, making money off the credit card company, the credit card making money off of me, so to speak. So I guess I'll leave it it at that. Yeah, bottom
0: line is whatever debt you're using for business, as long as your revenues, at least in the current time or the near future, if you're working on a project, once we get into this nine unit, if if we're working on a project and we're utilizing, whether it be credit card or any type of financing, if that project is going to pay for that Mm -hmm. debt, then then that's what business is all about. If you're a consumer using debt for materialistic items, that is bad debt. So you know the yeah. big question is for everybody to ask themselves is are you an investor or are you a consumer? And a lot of these debt questions are answered um, based on asking yourself that question let's jump let's jump right into that nine unit. how did how did you where is that and, and how did you find that property?
1: Yeah, great question as well. I think uh, it was right around the time yeah, end of 2021 basically I, I was always keen on trying to do the burr method, which if you're not familiar, if you're listening it's buy, rehab rent, refinance repeat. So basically, I bought those first two properties, I had done the cash out refinance, and I was basically ready for my repeat step on that on that uh, trajectory. And so I knew I wanted to go bigger just to, to take advantage of economies of scale. And, uh, you know, the commercial space seemed interesting. So I knew I wanted to go at least, you know, something four plus units, ideally, maybe six to 10, somewhere in there. Um, so I just, I don't know, started looking Um there's always things kicking around, you know, some things are better deals than others. But um, I had just done basically a very uh, heavy lift, as you would call it, Bill, on my previous property. So I had the experience, and, and uh, for those of you who don't understand what that means, essentially it's a uh, a property that needs a lot of work, a lot of rehab. Um, so the first two properties that I bought, those triplexes, needed, I think, probably over $100,000 worth of, of work each building over that four years. Um, and so, yeah, basically full rehabs on both buildings. And so I was like, I was definitely not afraid of that. And if anything, I think I was looking for something kind of like that, where I could add a lot of value, because that was just my experience, at least so far. So. Basically, I found this building, the nine unit on loopnet.com and just stumbled across it. I was already looking at other properties with an agent and I was like, hey, let's go take a look. So we went and took a look. You know, it looks pretty good. I think they originally had it up for like 600,000 and it was down to like 580. And then I think I offered... Oh, man, I think I offered like 525 or something. And then they said they had another offer. So come in with your best and final. So I came back at like 553. And they accepted. Um, And then basically, after all the due diligence and stuff, um, you know, there was a ton of stuff wrong with it. We knew we knew going in. So we just I think we worked them back down another 50,000 down to like 503. So we closed at 503 in June of last year. So I guess that's the that's the beginning of
0: that. Yeah, I remember that that first discussion we had on that. I was over at my 40-unit building in Colony, and you, you had contacted me, and I had some familiarity with that property. And, yes, that, that property is a heavy lift, right? Sure. Um, <laughs> are you able to use – I know you mentioned your, your first uh, two properties in Schenectady, and they were heavy lifts. Are you able to utilize any of the contractors that you uh, – worked with there on this nine unit?
1: Yeah. So, um, some of them, yes, some of them, no, I think that was probably some of the biggest learnings that I had from the first two projects is like, there's a big difference between renovating like one apartment and renovate, you know, one apartment over a series of months and renovating nine apartments. I'm trying to do nine apartments in this in like four months. So there's a much different pace, much different scale, You need more professional people that can do this like full-time like I think for the first ones I was just trying to save you know save money basically wherever I could I was less worried about how long things took uh it was just like a different period but yeah so so long story short yes I am utilizing I think only one guy um, who's been doing work for me for a really long time that done work for my family and then I've you know kind of amassed a small crew of other uh, tradesmen to help me with things Yeah,
0: and the goal here is is having those contractors get used to this project. But naturally, you're creating relationships. But at the same time, you're measuring. We have to measure everything we do. This is this is a big project for you, and you have to stay within a certain budget. And uh, contractors are, are are. It's interesting. Some work out better than others, but this is really going to be. And and I wish they understood this. And and I try to be as honest as I possibly can, especially when we're in this business long haul. It's we want to create a relationship with you. We want to have a fair deal for both parties because they have to make money also. But, uh, you know, based on how they operate on this deal is really going to determine if we're going to continue to utilize them on that next deal.
1: <laughs> 100%. Yeah, the, the biggest thing that I think I've learned so far uh, is, you know, trust but verify, but also, like, you know, just because you find somebody and you like them, maybe don't give them too much scope too soon. So, like, the, the, the biggest – I would say the biggest issue I've had so far with the guys that I'm working with, I found this guy who, who is – he does mostly flooring and drywall. And, um, basically he was hurting for work. It was wintertime when we were starting this project and he was like, Hey, like I've done, you know, full scale renovation. So I'll give you a price per apartment. And I think he, these are all one bedroom apartments. And he originally quoted me $7,500 labor only for, for, for each apartment. And I was like, well, that sounds like an amazing price. <laughs> let's do it. You know, cause he's got a small crew and I'm like, okay, let's, you know, let's see what he can do. And so, Basically the first two apartments, um, this was before we got the financing. The first two apartments like dragged on for months, like took forever. And it was because again, he's good at flo- flooring. He's good at drywall. He's not a plumber. He's not an electrician. So he had other tradespeople people who' supposed to be bringing in and he's not a GC by any means. And so, so I think this is another thing I'm learning. It's like, um, it's hard to find people. And if you find somebody who's good at something, just try to keep them in their lane. So basically what I've done now is like that was frustrating and we had to kind of rehash our agreement, but now I've got two guys. So he's basically handling demo, drywall, flooring, paint, and like putting in like windows and doors. And then I've got another group of two guys that are doing all the finish work. So, you know, installing um, the cabinets, uh, doing the tiling and backsplash, um, doing all the trim work, touch up paint, um finished plumbing stuff like that so i've kind of hit my stride a little bit now or starting to hit my stride so so I, that would be my recommendation to people you know if you do find somebody and they're good at something you know see if they can fit into your your strategy so
0: yeah you're so right it, it doesn't matter if it's contractors or or anybody the anybody on anyone's team we have to have the right people in the correct seats so That's hugely valuable. If people don't understand that, you're going to find out very quickly as you go through your journey. I get a kick out of that $7,500 in labor. And once he starts subbing out some of that work, because you mentioned he's not an electrician, he's not a plumber. And based on a heavy lift where you're really getting into an apartment, once he gets the bid on the plumber and then the electrician, I I don't know how much is left out of that (laughs) $7,500.
1: No, no, not a lot. That was the thing. It was like, on top of that, it was, um, and then it was just like taking him forever to get stuff done. So then he was like asking for advances into like future work when he was still not done. I was like, I can't do that, buddy. So we finally renegotiated the, the deal. And I think that's part of it too, um, is I would say that typically as the investor, you have to be, you, you're running the show at the end of the day. So you have to be the form that is holding all of your contractors. So, like, if they are not super organized, you have to be, able, you know, so, like, I try to give him he's, – he's not super detailed. Like, uh, you know, if I give him a list, he's not that guy. But um, I think we've gone to a place now where it's, like, okay, like, I, I, I've I given him the stuff that he likes doing and the stuff that he's good do, at doing, and I, I've, I've learned enough about him and what he can and can't do that I can try to, you know, stick him on the things that he's good at and then he goes quickly on and then, you know –
0: you know, uh, delegate all the other work. Yeah, so. he's not, he's not right. the general contractor you are. No. <laughs> That's no. Extremely, no. extremely clear at no. this point. So um, let's get into some of, the, some of the tenancy here. And when we buy some of these buildings, a, a lot of times it could have a lot of vacancy and it commonly has people that have lived in these buildings a long time. You bought this property because the rents were so low yes there's some improvements that have to be made but you walked into i I think it was almost fully occupied but when you have some of these long-term tenants living in apartments that um weren't the highest quality based on long-term landlord not real not doing much Um, And people living a a very low quality life and in a fantastic location. So those are the properties that we like to find. But tell us about some of the the tenants that you inherited and and any of the situations that you came across as you had to deal with the tenants on day one, do some non-renewals, some evictions. Uh, Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so that was um probably some of the most stressful stuff to start with. I would say to, to begin this process, like buying this building. Like I, I think a lot of people think landlords are like, you know, big bad rich people who are just trying to ruin people's <laughs> lives. And I, I really I really I personally rebel against that. Like I, I really try to bring empathy to every situation and I I, I feel Genuinely bad that some of these people have to leave because either they're not paying rent or like, the, you know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about this. But um, yeah, it was definitely super tough. So basically what happened was right as we closed, I sent letters or I uh, basically slipped letters under all of the tenant stores. I think seven of the nine were rented when I bought it. So we had two vacant uh, units, but so I said seven tenants. So basically, I guess to start the previous uh, owner was not super transparent on who was and was not paying rent. Like, I think they were like, Oh yeah, like everybody's pretty good. And then, you know, first month goes by and I think three or four tenants didn't pay rent on time. Uh, uh, you know, two of them basically just never paid rent after I bought it. So those were my first two evictions. And then the other two, I think, you know, paid rent, but very late all the time. And I was like, okay, well I'm not dealing with this. And at, the, at that point I wasn't hundred percent sure How quickly I wanted to start the renovations yet, that kind of came a little bit later. But so basically, the first thing that happened was non-renewals for those people started those evictions. Um, I had one tenant who was very adamant about trying to get placed as a Section 8 tenant, and that's not something I've done before. I would say most of our other um, properties are definitely like on the luxury end of things. So so we haven't really dealt with lower income properties yet. And so it was a new process for me. So I was just like, Hey, like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing yet, but you know, screw it. I'll just, you know, try to get this guy a section eight voucher just so we can have some extra rent coming in. <laughs> that one turned into a, 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 quite an interesting story. I told you this, I think, uh, but basically long story short, the guy, we, we got everything planned out. Um, we did the inspection and then literally I think it was two days or three days before his section eight voucher was supposed to start. Uh, I was actually uh, in, in Mexico uh, at a wedding with my wife, and we're in the hotel, and I get a text from a random number that I don't know who it was, and <laughs> turns out this guy had been living not by himself, like he had told me. He had somebody else living with him that was paying his rent, and it was this woman who was his roommate. I don't know. It was really sketchy, and she's like, hey, Jeremy, you don't know me, but I've been paying Patrick's rent. And... Um, I walked into his apartment this morning, and I found him dead on the couch. And I was like, what? So I'm in Mexico when this happened. And then two days before this happened, we had a fire in the building where another tenant had thrown out some 9-volt batteries. Uh, the fire department uh, it, it spontaneously combusted in the trash can. The fire department came and busted the guy's door down, and another tenant called me about that. That, that guy wasn't even home. So it was definitely um, a bit of a mess to start, but uh, you know we've kind of course-corrected since there. Um, basically, at this point, we're doing a full-scale renovation of the building. So we've, um, at this point, given everybody non-renewals. Everybody will be out of the building by April or Mar- or no, April or May. Um, so I don't know. That's a little bit of the uh, the beginning.
0: <laughs> yeah, usually it takes uh, collecting some properties over a period of time before you you, you know you have your first. Your first dead person in your you, you were you were unlucky enough to have this happen early in your career. I, I get a kick out of that that seller. You walk into this property, and the seller just wanted to get to the closing table, and unfortunately, oh, I just shake my head. This. Sometimes people in the real estate business, whether it be sellers, agents or whoever's getting paid at that, they'll do and say anything and and just geez, they sell their soul just to, to get those checks and you know I get it you know the one thing that I that people need to look out for right when you're ready to sell and you have tenants that are behind on rent, the landlord may scramble and start dissolving everyone's security deposits to pay the back rent that's owed. So now you're walking into a closing and you're finding out at the, at the 11th hour that now there's no security deposits. And then it Mm -hmm. turns into this goofy discussion when you're sitting at a closing table, waiting to close and, uh, that, that, that's valuable for people to hear because it happens way more often uh, than it should. You mentioned that you are going to have all of these buildings vacated by April, May. What, where are you in the process now out of the nine units with your remodeling? And what exactly is your plan to remodel apartment by apartment and fill it up at the same time. Is, is, is that the idea? Yeah.
1: So I've kind of gone back and forth on this, but my latest decision, I guess would be, um, so we started the initial renovations on two apartments that became vacant like late last year. Um, so those are complete now. So we have two, two uh, apartments that are fully complete were almost done with a third. We should hopefully be done with that maybe end of next week. Um, And so originally my plan was to finish, um, you know, finish one apartment at a time, try to get it leased up. Um, But basically what I've decided is like, we are going, I I think I've shown, or you've seen some of the pictures and I can share some with you maybe to add uh, for other people to see, but basically we're going for very much like luxury apartment vibes on this. So, uh, it's very high end, um, you know, quartz countertops, um, everything sheet rock ceilings. We, you know, recessed lighting, um, they have balconies that are going to be all refreshed, um, you know, spa-like showers, really, really, uh, you know, high end with with, 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 like the finishes and stuff that we went with, um. So I think, at least right now, my plan is to kind of hold off until we're pretty close to being done with the building. I think I want to have maybe only one or two apartments left to be renovated or at least be ready because, like, right now the hallways are still very dated, like, from the 80s or whenever it was originally built. And so all of that needs to be refreshed. So essentially I want the building to be almost done before I really start putting people in there because I don't want to be renting basically a top dollar I'm trying to get 16 i think i'm going for you know i'm shooting for 1600 a month on these apartments that's what i'm shooting for um you know up from originally i think i was going to shoot for 1350 1400 um and i've actually i've put them up so far and i've gotten some traction on it so uh so basically you know charging that amount of rent i don't want you know people saying hey i'm paying 1600 bucks a month and i've got some guy hammering next to me all day long you know so that's basically where I'm at right now. I'm going to wait, I think, a little bit longer, um, get the building almost on it, because then it's a little easier to show. And then you can see, you know, you see the progress. The driveway's done. The sidewalks are done. The building is painted. You know, it's 80, 90 percent there. There's just a couple you know little things to finish up. So at least right now, that's the plan. So Gotcha.
0: And. I think most of our audience knows this is a classic value add rent growth deal. You're you're putting what what do you say about 400,000 into this project?
1: Yeah, we applied for 360 which we were approved for and closed on um, <laughs> that's like a whole other story but basically there is uh, I made some mistakes and oversights on the budgeting plan and then also um, the code enforcement guy or building inspector also um, Basically forced us to do some things that ended up costing us some significant cost overages. So I think we're going to basically go back to the bank and request another potentially a hundred thousand dollars. I'm not sure. We'll see what they approve us for. I just sent that request in earlier this week. So um, could turn into a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar project uh, over this period of time. So yeah, yeah.
0: So you bought this property for a little over five hundred grand. You're going to be putting uh, four to five hundred thousand into it. And there's the value add, but average rents, if I remember correctly, they, what were what were they being rented at? 700 bucks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 700, 750. So we're going to be more than doubling the rents ideally. Um, so yeah, we're shooting for 1600 and that will include heat and hot water. Um, I'm kicking around, like we, we ran all of the cabling for the Wi-Fi throughout the building. So I'm, Kicking around the idea of either including that or, or, you know, adding that on as an additional charge or something like that. So we're still figuring out the pricing and packaging a little bit on this, but uh, yeah, that's the plan. Yeah. So instead
0: of just purchasing a building that is in tough shape, almost occupied, getting very, mm-hmm. very, you know, they—it's not like they were overpaying rents. They—they they were living in. Bad apartments in, in a great mm-hmm. neighborhood. Once again, it's it's all about that great neighborhood. If it wasn't in a great neighborhood, this was most likely a non starter purchase for you. So mm-hmm. you are able to add eight, nine hundred dollars in rent, and that's going to pay for the four to five hundred thousand dollar cap X. If you were just to buy this building, yeah, you could run this and cash flow it, buy it for 500 grand, maybe raise the rents a little bit and slumlord. Or you buy this type of property, you put in the heavy lift, you put in the work. It's a great location. So now you're able to have a building you're into for about a million dollars. But when you're getting $1,600 per month rent times nine units, the returns make sense
1: for sure. Yeah, we're. uh I mean, for people that are interested into the numbers, like myself, I think when we bought it at five hundred three, I think our mortgage, taxes, insurance was like thirty five hundred a month, and I think we were grossing approximately like fifty five hundred, six thousand a month, and then when it's done with the debt service, mortgage, taxes, insurance, and commercial construction loan at least for this initial loan we were shooting for like you know all in expenses was going to be around six thousand a month but then now with the um, increased rents we should be close to fifteen thousand dollars a month in gross rents so that leaves us a pretty nice spread obviously there's going to be you know utilities and other maintenance costs but uh, you know ideally it should be relatively low
0: considering the amount of money we're putting into the building um, you know to
1: to get things moving so
0: awesome so I, I love listening to some of the tenant stories and, and some of that uh, craziness, but you had mentioned code enforcement in the building department. Here's another angle that, that uh, I don't want to say it's entertaining. <laughs> it's, it's entertaining. We're laughing now. At the time, it's either... It's either you're going to laugh or you're going to cry. Tell, tell, us about your, tell us about your experience getting into this property and um, how you were approaching it. And, and when you met the code enforcement inspector. <laughs> For sure. So so basically I had almost
1: zero like code enforcement experience before, because like the other two buildings that I owned, like I you if you live in the building, the, the it's much different. Uh, code enforcement wise. Like you can do a lot of the work yourself. You don't have to pull certain permits. Also, this is a commercial building, so it changes things um, as well. So basically I met with the code enforcement officer pretty early on, building inspector for, for the town, and we had initial conversations about the scope of work. And, you know, I think he initially scared scared me pretty good because he was like, oh, like you're going to need to get everything um, stamped by a professional engineer and all of the stuff. And all I'm hearing is dollar signs, dollar signs, dollar signs. And I'm like, okay, like for most of the work we're doing, like it's not like terribly structural. Like there, there was one wall we removing inside of the apartments. Um, so to open things up, but I, I don't know. So basically I just pushed back a little bit and we, I don't know, somehow we got it through without having to do the PE stamp, which was huge. But uh, so basically interior wise, we have, it's very extensive We're, we're basically gutting in each apartment to the, almost to the studs in some areas, and then re- replacing everything from the ground up, like the whole ceilings coming out, re- replacing everything. So basically in that uh, case, because there was an existing drop ceiling that was not fire rated, I don't know how they got away with that, but they did. We had to replace all of that with 5A's type X rock so that it's fire rated for the ceiling so that there's no transfer between apartments if there was a fire. Um, Like all of the doors, I think this building was built in like 78. All of the doors are just like wood doors that are not fire rated. There's no, um, uh, what do you call it, like air seal on the doors. So we had to replace all of those doors. So that, again, that was a, a significant additional cost to us. But... One, it looks a lot nicer, and two, it's obviously safer. Um, there's a couple areas, oh, the, the hallways have these this really sketchy, rickety railing that's metal. And, and I was like, okay, like, I'm looking at it, you know, like, that definitely needs to get replaced. And the guy's like, yeah, I think the railing's only 24 inches high, so it's like somebody could easily fall over the railing. Um, so I was like, you know, again, that was another big cost that I was not foreseeing. So, like, I think I budgeted maybe $15,000 for the hallways. To to do all of the um, renovations there, so that was new flooring, paint, uh, sheetrock the ceilings. But then I found out to get a railing fabricated, a custom railing. That alone, I think, ended up being five almost five thousand dollars to get that custom fabricated and powder coated and painted and installed. Um, so just a lot of surprises there. I think as far as the building inspector himself, like the biggest things that are are difficult is just he's a he's a public employee, like. He doesn't run on my schedule, unfortunately, and so like there was multiple times where I would call him like for days. I'm not joking, like days in a row. Call him six, seven, eight times, leave messages, no response, and I'm like, okay, like I need. So finally, one of these times, I got him on the phone, scheduled a plumbing inspection. He comes, or no, no, he's uh, the uh, we're basically waiting on the plumbing inspection before we can close up the walls and start sheetrocking and stuff. This guy, and so it's like 1030 on a Wednesday or something. So 1045, 11, called them multiple times, no answer. This guy, no call, no shows to my freaking plumbing inspection. And I've got guys ready to hang sheetrock. So we put us behind three days because he didn't show up. So I was livid. So that day I was so upset. I went straight to town hall because I was trying to find the guy. I was like, where is this guy? Like going around asking where Lewis is and freaking run into this one dude who's like, hey, you know, who are you looking for? Turns out it was the mayor of the town, <laughs> and so I'm, like, telling him about how the building inspector has been hard to get a hold of and all this stuff, and so now I've got the mayor on my side uh, helping me uh, get this guy in order, so uh, I hate to be that guy, but at the same time, it's like you're trying to keep your, your project moving, um, and there's, like, so many moving parts, so... Yeah, that's a little bit about
0: my experience with the building inspector. So. Yeah, and, and it's, it's not like we want to run around town and do things incorrectly and not with the proper yeah. permission and all of that. But man, that that is my experience as well. When as soon as you get that building inspector involved, now you're you know time time kills uh, anything. Yeah, um,
1: the worst. One quick piece, too, the worst part recently was so because we had to do three phases of permits. So the first two phases were interior, and then we had a third phase for exterior permits. And so we finally got the first two phases put through. Everything was submitted and, and approved. And so I'm just, you know, basically interior was far more work than the exterior, at least from my perspective, from a code enforcement perspective. So. So I was just like, okay, so we we submitted phase three back in January, uh, January 29th. And then basically he came for an inspection and I was like, hey, like just checking in on the phase three permits, like, are we good to go? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. You have to do a site plan review. I'm like, what do you mean I need to do a site plan review? Like, why didn't you tell me this a month ago <laughs> when I sent the permits in? Uh, he's like, yeah, you because you're changing the color of the building. It needs to be an approved color. I'm like, this is Scotia. This isn't like... You know Charleston, South Carolina. You know what I mean? Like, like just—I don't know. Like, just give me a a approved color palette or something like that. So, so yeah, we're we're the only thing we're doing on the exterior of the building really is painting and adding sidewalks. And we have to. So, I'm actually have the the meeting next week where I have to sit in front of the the site plan review board for the town or whatever, and and basically tell them what I'm going to do, have them approve or disapprove of what I'm doing. And so so now it's not so bad because. We're it's we're in March right now. My plan was to start the exterior work essentially as soon as it was warm enough to do that. So start concrete, start asphalt, uh, painting the building, all those things. And so originally he was telling me that the site plan review had to be submitted two and a half weeks before the first of the month, and this was already in February. So uh, I wasn't going to be able to get until April, and if I fail it, then I would have to come back in May. So that would push my timeline out big time, but. Basically, I the squeaky wheel gets the oil and I emailed the mayor, the site plan review board, all those people like a bunch of times. And then they, they called a special meeting for me. So that's happening next week uh, on the 13th, which is nice. So you know, it doesn't push my whole
0: project out. So The beauty of writing an email and copying <laughs> copying in the, the entire building department. So we're so all on yeah. the same page. It, it wasn't always like that where we're able to do it that way. It's, it's every municipality is different. You know, I, I can't stress that enough. You had mentioned it's, this isn't Charleston, South Carolina. In my world, um, it's, it could be the historic area of downtown Albany where I'm doing a project and they call it the appropriations department. In other words, the historic department has to approve anything on that exterior to make sure that it fits in with the character Mm -hmm. of that historic neighborhood, but other areas of Albany over the years isn't historic. And you're not, you can do whatever you want on the exteriors. Mm -hmm. It's not anything that is a a concern to them. And I'm so shocked, Scotia, New York, you have to go through this type of appropriateness check on your exterior on a 1978 building Where you're remotely located, you you don't even really have neighbors close by.
1: No, no, I don't. I think that was the. I think for me personally, that's the thing that's the most frustrating. Is it's like I'm going to be spending almost a half a million dollars renovating this building, trying to make Scotia a better place. The place is severe, severely deteriorated, dilapidated outside right now. Like the siding is like all moldy and gross. Like it needs to be pressure washed and painted. A bunch of stuff needs to be replaced, and so just it feels like they're putting barriers in front of me to, you know, as the investor trying to, to, to do that. It's like, I don't know. And and on top of that, it's like, I've already shown them the, the caliber of work that we're doing. So I understand that, you know, you know, rules are rules, but it's like, and on top of that, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, pay us $200 just to slow your project down.
0: <laughs> yeah, early on in my career, I was I was changing a, uh, a single family to a two family. I, I bought it because it had uh, at an auction and it had um, separate electric meters, separate gas meters. And I was early on in my career. So, um, I, you know, I was learning as I went and assumed. When I bought this property at auction, it was already um, zoned for a two family. It was being used as a two family. The utilities were all separated, but I mm-hmm. found out it's a one family. Now I have to get that zoning change. And boy, is, it's it's not my cup of tea. And, and it's kept me away from this area of real estate investing where we're trying to get changes of use because I was so uncomfortable at that planning board meeting, where I had these eight people listening to me, listening to the attorney, and you're just crossing your fingers that they're going to give you permission yeah. to, to actually execute the building the way that it's been run for the past thirty years.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's super tough. I know that. for our other properties in Schenectady, that's with their three units in. There's enormous attics that I would really love to, to uh, transition into another apartment. And they're already zoned multifamily, but I think it's zoned as a three-family, not a four-family. So I got to look into that because that's one of the things I'd like to do in the future. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, it's definitely scary because it's like, you you know, you feel like they have your... Your life in their hands, or if they have your life in their hands a little bit,
0: you know. So, so what does it look like now? Um, but right before we wrap up here with the outro questions, you know, you you you've got the building department uh, almost situated, and you have the plans to make these luxury apartments. Your projected rents, but at this point, on a monthly basis, is it fair to say that you are the general contractor managing these subs? And you're left having to, this is the important thing, measure on a weekly, monthly basis, staying on budget, because this is what it's all about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would say definitely. uh, I would definitely categorize myself as the GC right now. I've got multiple subs that are doing different things. Uh, I pretty much there every day, at least once a day, if not more, because I, you know, like yesterday I was there and they're running some plumbing and they're putting in a washer dryer hookups and, uh, and we're going to be putting in a washer dryer. And for anybody that knows anything about plumbing, you have to have a P trap on every drain. Otherwise you get plumbing gases that come up through the drain, which is not good. And my guy is just going quickly and you no, know, I'm, I'm looking in the wall and it's just a straight pipe down to the drain. I'm like, Hey, no, 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 no. And this, and then I'm like, Hey, the, even worse is like, Hey, what, what have, did, did you do the other one like this too? And he's like, Oh no, no, no. I, I, that one was fine. So I went and I was like, you know what? I'm going to cut the wall open just to check, cut the wall open, straight pipe. Oh. So <laughs> on top of him lying straight to my face, it's like, it, he has to go redo that, that, that plumbing now. So yeah, so it's just like a constant battle, you know, just staying on top of people, making sure things are not only getting done, but also getting done correctly um, and to, to spec. Um, because, again, like we're going to be charging a lot of money for these apartments, and I don't want anything, you know, uh, you know like that especially happening. So, uh, yeah, managing that, managing, making sure all the materials are getting there on time, managing the inspections, uh, you know, between the plumbing and electrical, and then the final CO inspections and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the day-to-day right now um, until we get into the exterior stuff, but
0: yeah. Love it, love it, love it. So yep. I, I wanna have you back. I, we wanna hear about the completed project and um, how it went with the CapEx budget and how you're hitting all those projected rents. That's when the fun stuff starts, not when you're doing all this work with the intent of having this building run with very minimal work orders or service orders. Last thing you need to do is start cutting into walls when someone lives in an apartment after you just put $500,000 in the building. So I appreciate how you you took a step back when that contractor lied and said that he put in the proper P trap when he didn't. So you were like, all right, if I'm going to cut into a wall, I'm going to do it now because eventually you would be cutting into that wall down the road. Once you did find out the hard way that he did that plumbing incorrectly. Mm -hmm. This is the collecting real estate podcast. So we like to end the episode Asking you a collection of questions. First one: uh-huh. What's the most important thing you've learned since collecting real estate?
1: Oh man, <laughs> um, there's a lot. There's a lot of learning. <laughs> yeah, there's like so many things. I think, I think uh, patience and planning. I don't know. I feel like it's a multiple, uh, multi, multi-answer there. Like I think the biggest thing that I'm learning right now for me is just I thought I was a pretty detailed oriented person. But there's also always the unknown unknowns, you know. So this is my first time doing a renovation of this size and magnitude and scale in this sort of a period of time. Uh, So I thought I had a pretty good grasp of the inner workings of the construction process. So I think I just wish I had uh, spent more time on the planning phases uh, on, you know, when I wanted materials, when I need to order things, um, been more meticulous on like what I was actually going to need and prices on things and stuff. Uh, Cause that, again, that's kind of blown a hole in my budget in some, in some spots, but I think, you know, eventually we're going to be okay. and, and, you know, we're learning a lot, but yeah, planning. And then also just, you know, patience with yourself when you inevitably screw things up because there's Always unknowns. There's plenty of things that I could have planned for that I still wouldn't have been able to plan for just because we're dealing with humans at the end of the day, whether it be tenants or contractors or, you know, building inspectors or bankers or whoever else you're building with. So just patience, uh, but also, you know, staying on top of people, you know,
0: as well. So but At the end of the day, when this, this thing is running, it's all Jeremy Sagai. Everybody else is gone. You're responsible. This is your baby. So you, you have yeah. to handle it that way, and I appreciate that answer because we're so anxious, or at least speaking for myself, so anxious to blast through this type of project because you need to get the end result, which was rentals. But what I've learned over a long period of time, especially a project like that, what you're doing is details, 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 which needs massive planning so having that patience not plowing forward too quickly because you Mm -hmm. have to take a second and make sure that you're planning out those details because the oh my goodness the the details are endless so i I think you're very very privy to that at this point and watching very very closely second question for you what are your completely shifting away here from business what are your one to two year personal goals
1: Oh man, personal goals. I mean, it's kind of related a little bit, but like one of the big ones for us is, uh, you know, my wife and I are married and we have a daughter. Um, and so we currently are house hacking still. We live in one of our apartments that we own and, uh, my wife is definitely over that. (laughs) So buying a single family house, that's something a little closer to her family is a big one. Uh, that and, One of our other goals, too, is that we would love to, like, snowbird out of New York State because my wife and I both have jobs that are pretty flexible. Um, So whether it be, like, I have real estate, but I also still have a full-time job. Um, So, uh, yeah, we would love to, one of our goals is to snowbird in Hawaii in 2025. So that's a random one. Cool. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome.
0: Last question for you. How can we and the listeners assist you, and how do we contact you?
1: Yeah, um, you can either connect with me on LinkedIn or my email is my first and last name at gmail.com. Uh, Jeremy Sagai, J-E-R-E-N-Y-S-A-G-A-I-L-L-E at gmail.com. Um, and assistance, I guess right now, just, uh, I don't know if you know any... I don't know. I feel like I'm pretty close to the end of needing contractors at this point. But I think at this point, uh, you know, next for me is like I would really love to go into like maybe 20 to 30 units. Uh, So if you know you or anybody else knows of any uh, properties in the area in that range that are coming up for sale, off market, on market, whatever, looking at that or other potential investing partners, I think that would be cool. I think that's
0: the future for me. So, yeah, excellent, excellent. I appreciate, and I do want to have you back on. I want to see the end results yeah. on this, and um, I'll be sure to be speaking with you as you're uh, finishing up this project and planning that that next purchase. And uh, thank you very much for being on the Collecting Real Estate Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Bill. I appreciate it. Looking forward to next
0: time.